Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. In the fields of bodies burning. As the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community radio satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Woolless Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scone, I'm hosting today's program. Guess what it is today? Wednesday the 3rd of June. Well, if you're listening to this live, and it's not live because it's pre-recorded, because I take three days off a year. I take the 1st of May. No, not because it's the workers' holiday. I take it off because it's the day the Australian anarchist movement was formed on the 1st of May, 1886, here in Melbourne town. So I take the 1st of May off. I take today off, the 3rd of June, which is Marbo Day, a historic day which is slowly being forgotten and being forgotten for a number of reasons. And obviously I take off Eureka Day, the 3rd of December. And this year, Marbo Day falls on the 3rd of June. So those of you who are listening to this program in the city of Melbourne at 10am, you've still got time to join us at Federation Square at the corner of Flinders and Swanson Street in Melbourne. You can join us at midday, a short ceremony, about half an hour to an hour. So if you're there by 1 o'clock, you've missed it all. You need to be there at 12 o'clock. Torres Strait Islander elder Ellen Jose will be the Master of Ceremonies and uh, she'll be uh, speaking on a day which is exceptionally important both to Torres Strait Islanders, Aboriginals and Australians as a whole. Why? Why? Well, today we're celebrating the hundred. Today we're celebrating the twenty-third anniversary of the historic High Court judgment delivered on the third of June, nineteen ninety-two, that recognised that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders had rights to land in law because of their prior occupation of that land. It took two hundred and four years for somebody to realise there were black faces in the Australian community. And those black faces had been here for tens of thousands of years. But the judicial system can be a little bit slow. So why celebrate on Marbo Day? Why celebrate on the 3rd of June? Why would anybody bother to celebrate? You know, isn't it just a historic oddity that happened 23 years ago? Does it really have any impact on Australian society? Was it that important? These are the questions that everybody asks themselves these days. And a lot of people, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous, tend to shunt Marbo Day away. And you've got to remember that Marbo Day ends Reconciliation Week. Reconciliation Week 
begins with Sorry Day and ends with Mabo Day. Everybody talks about the 1967 referendum and how important that was. That was really nothing. All he did is gave the Commonwealth the power to legislate on behalf of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders because before then they were basically the slaves of, guess what? They were the slaves of the colonisers. What Mabo Day, that historic decision on the 3rd of June 1992, did is turn historic fact on its head. When Australia was invaded and colonised on the 26th of January 1788, the British colonisers acted as if this land was uninhabited. Forget about the spears sticking out of people's throats and chests. It was uninhabited. Forget about the massacres, the dismemberment, the disease, the forceful uh, theft of land. Forget about that. Over 40,000 years of civilization was swept aside in an orgy of destruction that resulted in the violent dispossession of people who had a long and fruitful association with the land. Simple. Undeniable. Undeniable. For 204 years, the legal fiction of Terra Nullius, the land of no one, well, there were no cities, were there? There were no skyscrapers. Obviously, nobody owned it was used to legally reward the murderers who colonised this land, although the original inhabitants had never ceded their sovereign rights to the land. Let's not forget that. No treaties have ever been signed between any Torres Strait Islander group, any Aboriginal group on the mainland. Both Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders have never ceded their sovereign right to that land. In 1982, three traditional landowners from the island of Mur in the eastern Torres Strait Eddie Koiko Mabo, Father Passy and Grandfather Rice set in train a series of events that began in the Queensland courts and ended in the High Court of Australia that overturned the doctrine that Australia was unoccupied terra nullius. That's right, that Australia was unoccupied terra nullius at the time of colonisation. Totally unoccupied. And even if they were people, they didn't really matter, did they? Now, the High Court of Australia on the 3rd of June 1992, after a 10-year case, ruled that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders' interests in land and water survived the assertion of sovereignty by the Crown. Now, those of you who are old enough to remember 1992, which was 23 years ago today, would have seen consternation in the corporate-owned media and to a lesser degree in the government guild at ABC and in opposition circles in government circles. It didn't take long for the spirit and the letter of the judgment to be buried in bucket loads of extinguishment by successive federal governments. 23 years after the High Court judgment gave Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders rights to land in law, the question of sovereign rights, the extent of native title and a need for a treaty between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians continues despite attempts by successive federal governments to bury the issue, to be the single most important impediment to reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australian. So on the 3rd of day, on the 3rd of June today, we mark that day. We mark a forward step in the journey towards reconciliation 
based on justice. The 3rd of June 1992 was not the end of the struggle. It is just the beginning of that struggle. It is a day that all Australians should remember. A week after Mabo Day, people will be celebrating the Queen's birthday. While there is a public holiday for the Queen's birthday, there is no public holiday, none whatsoever, to highlight the importance of this day in this country's history. So I said before, this program is pre-recorded. I'm celebrating the day with other people in the city of Melbourne. A small number, not thousands, not hundreds, maybe a hundred, maybe more, maybe less. And if you are in Melbourne today on the 3rd of June and you want to join us, you can join us at the corner of Flinders and Swanson Street at Federation Square, Melbourne at midday to celebrate, not commemorate, but to celebrate the 23rd anniversary of the historic High Court judgment delivered on the 3rd of June 1992. Now, Mr Eddie Mabo, Corky Mabo, was the lead plaintiff. And this case highlights what people can do when they put their minds to it. Because Eddie was a gardener at Queensland University, father of five, a gardener, who'd been expelled from Murr by the authorities because of his rebellious, that was his homeland because of, in the Eastern Torres Strait, because of his rebellious nature. He'd been banished from the island of Myrrh. Banished. And he lived, like most Torres Strait Islanders, over 80% on the mainland of Australia. And while he was a gardener at the University of Queensland in the late 70s and early 80s, he did a little bit of reading, he used to get into the library at lunchtime then asked around, asked for a little bit of advice and began this 10-year journey which he never saw come to fruition because Eddie Koikimabo died five months before the judgment was delivered on the 3rd of June 1992. And what's interesting about this judgment is how it showed the iron fist in the velvet glove. Because when the judgment was handed down, those of you who are old enough to remember, you would have heard the propaganda about how Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders were going to steal people's backyards, that how they are going to take over the whole country, they were going to claim the whole land, that it was the end of property rights as we knew them. That's what people were told. And it didn't take long for the Howard-led government and the national-led opposition by Mr. Mr. Fisher to attempt to bury the High Court judgment in bucket loads of extinguishment, making it difficult for people to lodge claims, drawing out the process. And fascinatingly, this decision, which challenged the whole question about who owns what on this country, and who has rights to land and water in this country, spawned the denial movement, spawned a movement which was bankrolled by the Murdoch media and pushed along by the Howard government, which tried to deny, which tried to deny the brutality 
of the colonisation process, which tried to deny the link between what happened in 1788 and 100, 100, for the next 130, 140 years and the dysfunction in many Aboriginal communities today. It tried to deny that link. And these people put out some of the most atrocious propaganda about how it wasn't an invasion, there were no massacres, there were very few deaths, it was all very nice, all very agreeable, all very pleasant. Looking at the historical records which are written by the colonisers. Because those of you who've been involved in the Tanaminoe and Morbohina memorial struggle will remember that in 2004, when we launched the Tanaminoe and Morbohina struggle, and in 2006, when we formed the Tanaminoe and Morbohina Commemoration Committee and formed that first on the 20th of January, we made that first commitment to work towards the establishment of a significant monument. This was a political campaign. It was a political campaign which was designed to try to turn back the whitewash, to rub out the whitewash about the colonisation process. And that's what it's about. How can anybody reconcile with anybody who denies what they and their predecessors have done? Because all the rights, the property rights we enjoy today are directly linked to the dispossession of people that have been here for tens of thousands of years. And to deny that fact, to celebrate the legal fiction of terra nullius, the land of nobody, highlights how far people will go in this country to ensure that they maintain their ill-gotten gains. So Wednesday the 3rd of June, join us. It's not too late. If you're listening to this program in the early hours of the morning on the 3rd of June, it is not too late to write up a sign, go outside, happy Marbo Day, celebrate that judgment, begin that journey. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program. That's right. My name is Joseph Toscano, and I'm hosting today's program. If you want to know what Anarchy is all about, Anarchist Society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures, which are based on equal decision-making power. It's direct democracy, which give all people access to society as well. And it's quite interesting. In the mid-1990s, I designed a regional anarchist flag because the anarchist flag is black and not black and white. You know, everybody says the Islamic State is a black flag. They don't. They've got a black flag with lots of white writing. So in the mid-90s, we designed a new anarchist flag for Australia because we have unfinished business in this country. And that is a black flag with four stripes. And those four stripes are red, one of the primary colours of the Aboriginal flag. Blue, one of the primary colours of the Torres Strait Islander flag. Yellow, one of the primary colours of the Aboriginal flag. And green, one of the primary colours of the Torres Strait Islander flag. To highlight that unfinished business that exists in this country, that we acknowledge as anarchists that this country 
has traditional owners, that it has First Nation people, that we have not resolved that issue. We have done nothing to try to heal the festering sore which makes life impossible for so many people on this continent. So let's move on. Now hopefully you'll all celebrate um, the Queen's birthday next week, I'm sure you will. And unfortunately next week we have... Yes, we'll talk about that next week. That'll be interesting. But uh, currently, as I said before, happy Marbo Day. If you missed out this year, join us next year on the 3rd of June and we'll be doing this commemoration until the day we die because it's important that this day is highlighted in the history of this country, that it's not buried away, that it's not shunted aside, that it's not forgotten. It's important that we um, remember it. Now, a little bit of upstate on public interest before corporate interest. Things are moving ahead slowly. The key word is slowly, S-L-O-W-L-Y. I encourage you to look at the website. I encourage you to look at the Facebook page. If you like the aims of public interest before corporate interest, the aims are very simple. We aim to ensure the interests of the Australian public are put before the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social, environmental and national costs. That tiny section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication have become so powerful they are instrumental in setting the parliamentary agenda and determining who governs us. It's time public interests were put before corporate interests. Membership. Membership is open to people of all religious beliefs and those who have no religious beliefs. We welcome people of all races, nationalities, genders and sexual orientation. But we believe all human beings are born with inalienable rights and liberties no government can legislate away or corporations take away. So if you are interested in putting public interest first, if you're interested in joining a political party that wants to do this, that wants to take their struggles right up to Parliament, well then... Have a look at the website, pibci.net. Download the application form. Fill it in, pibci, pibci.net. Download the application form. Fill it in. Become a member of one of the fastest growing political parties in this country, pibci.net. If you're not computer literate, don't despair. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can uh, leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. Well, there won't be any riveting, he says, smiling to himself, up-to-date analysis of what's happening right now. But I want to use this program as it's a pre-recorded program to actually look at what's been happening for the last five or six months. Because I think it's important that people begin to understand that governments do have the capacity to change culture. They have capacity to change people. They have the capacity to change things. And when governments don't represent the interests of the people they represent, but represent the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to to create ever-increasing profits for their shareholders, we have the usurping of power from the democratic, the so-called parliamentary democracy. Because parliamentary democracy is a very interesting thing. 
it's a little bit like religious belief. Now, I don't like denigrating people's religious beliefs. Some may think it's a load of crap, but I don't tell them it's a load of crap. It's the same with parliamentary democracy because religious belief and parliamentary democracy are based on one thing, faith. F-A-I-T-H. doesn't matter what religious belief you have. Ultimately, it's based on faith. That those words that you take as the words of God or given to somebody else who then has written them down on behalf of God, you really need faith. There's no right or wrong. It's about faith. You believe it. End of story. It's the same with parliamentary democracy. It is one of the few fields of human endeavour which is based on faith, especially in this country. Because in this country, it is impossible for the ordinary citizen, apart from casting a ballot every three to four years to vote in a political representative, to actually change the nature of the game. Unless you're involved in a mass movement, which puts direct pressure on government, it is very hard to change the name of the game. And that's the dilemma regarding parliamentary democracy Australian style. The first issue is there are very few constitutional protections in the Australian Constitution as far as human rights are concerned. So that means the government can give you rights, it can take away those rights. There is no fundamental protection of those rights. And what we've seen over the past two or three decades is the removal of rights by people who claim that the only way they can make us secure is to remove those very rights that we've won through generations of struggle. So that seems to be the nub of the problem. There is nothing you can do, apart from revolution in between elections, to punish or call to heal a parliamentary representative who lies, who does not fulfil one of their promises, and governments who think election promises are disposable extras in their election campaign. They'll promise anything and deliver nothing. Because all the long-suffering elector can do in Australia is wait for the next election. They can't recall non-performing politicians in between elections. They can't recall them. There is no mechanism by which you can recall them. You can have politicians who change their political parties. They change the colour of their, pol- of their political uh, allegiances and they can do it legally. They can do it any time they like. No consequences. You've got people who promise you the earth and and don't deliver anything and go in a diametrically opposed direction. So that's the limitations of parliamentary democracy. And in a constitutional way, there is no way that the people can actually determine legislative outcome. There are no citizens-initiated referendums in this country. There is no way 10, 15, 20% of citizens can't call for a referendum on a particular issue and that referendum on that particular issue then becomes constitutional law. 
No way. The only way the Constitution can be changed in this country is through the party of the majority in both houses of Parliament calling a referendum on a particular question. And obviously, most referendums have been have failed because politicians have used those referendums in an attempt to extend their own powers over the people of this country. So we've got these huge deficiencies of the parliamentary system. But there is never any debate about reform. There is never any debate about citizens-initiated referendums. There's never any, any, any debate about the power of recall. It may be mentioned occasionally and then it's forgotten. I mean, things are so ridiculous in this country that it is a criminal offence not to vote. I've now got two criminal convictions, both of them related to the fact that I didn't vote. One in 1998, one in 2015, which I'm in the process of appealing. Just extraordinary when you think about it. And why was compulsory voting introduced? Well, it was introduced because people were so disgusted with the antics of the government during World War I that fewer and fewer people immediately post-war bothered to cast a vote. So instead of reforming the political system, what happened is that voting was made compulsory, and even today. 93 years after it was first made, 91 years after it was first made compulsory in 2000, in 1924, we still have over 20% of people who are eligible to vote don't vote, voting formal or not even on the electoral roll. So there is an increasing disillusionment with parliamentary democracy. And unless reforms are introduced, what we will see is parliament becoming irrelevant as far as the decision-making process is concerned. What we'll see is parliamentarians and political parties being little more than puppets for large transnational corporations who have the power and the wealth to determine parliamentary policy. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia and the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. If you'd like to talk to me, leave messages on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. Anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the website, anarchistmedia.org. Anarchistmedia.org. You can go to the, web, the Facebook page for pipsy.net or go to pipsy.net, Public Interest Before, Corporate Interest, the Facebook page for the Wednesday Action Group, and the list goes on and on. Because really it's about people taking action outside and within the parliamentary system to make certain demands to ensure that all those rights that generations of Australians have fought and died for continue to be part of the life in this country, not whittled away, not removed by self-serving people who are there to serve their political masters, who are there, who are little more than puppets. So why, 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 why do I say these things? It's simple. Look at this country, and I'll say it again because I say it every week. 25 million people living on a continent. 
we shouldn't have the social issues we have today. This is a very rich country. It is a rich country in comparison to, say, Bangladesh, where you've got tens of millions of people living on an area the size of uh, about half the size of Victoria, and much of it floodplains. It's an extraordinarily rich country. But it's an extraordinarily insular country. Although Australians are some of the most travelled people in the world, we tend not to think about what is happening in this country. And what has happened in this country over the past three decades has been frightening. Because all almost of the gains that were made through direct action and struggle and parliamentary politics are now being chucked aside, thrown out of the boat as if there's some type of disposable extra. And they've been thrown out of the boat on the altar of Mammon. They've been sacrificed to Mammon. And what we've seen over the past three decades is an extraordinary revolution which has changed ideology which has changed people's opinions, which has made those who suffer as a result of the excesses of corporate capitalism love corporate capitalism. That has attempted to make us all little capitalists by using taxpayers' money to bolster the fortunes of those who earn their income by exploiting other people's labour. It's very simple. The investor, very simple. We've got extraordinarily situations in this country. Corporate capitalism, corporate capitalism. It's just extraordinary how much we've bent backwards to ensure the corporate sector, that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communications, continues to dominate every aspect of our lives. Just an extraordinary amount. Look at, just look at any facet of our existence and look at how the interests of corporations always seem to take precedence over the interests of the public interests. Look at the private sector and how the interests of the private sector seem to take precedence over the interests of the public sector over and over again. We have a, a ridiculous situation in this country where the rich are getting richer, the stronger are getting stronger and the poorer, the exploited, continue to be marginalised on the altar of mammon. And I say it every week and I'll say it again. At no time in Australian history has the gap between the money investors make in comparison to the money which goes to wages, has the gap never been so wide. And why is that? And it's very simple. Because there are all these tax breaks which allow large corporations to pay voluntary taxation. And more importantly, there are tax breaks which allow tens of thousands of Australians to use these tax breaks to enrich themselves at the... At, at the uh, expense of the rest of the community. For example, negative gearing. Extraordinary. No government wants to touch it. In this country, 
you get a tax deduction for owning more than one home. But you get no support. You can't even access your superannuation to pay the deposit on a home. And we know the difference between a reasonable life and a hand-to-mouth existence in retirement is actually owning the space in which you reside. We know that. Every study will tell you that. Every study will tell you that people are paying, elderly people, people with disability support, pension people on single parents' pension, are paying 50, 60, 70% of the social security benefits to rent in the public sector because there is no money for public housing. There is no money for public education. There is no money for public health care. There is no money for public infrastructure. And we told this ad nauseum. And why isn't there money? Well, you know why there's no money. Because the corporate sector pays voluntary taxation. Because nearly 70% of all taxation revenue continues to come from pay-as-you-earn taxpayers. You know that. I know that. We all know that. And although governments occasionally are forced to make tut-tut about this state of affairs, there will be no change of legislation to rein in the corporate sector. There will be no change of legislation to ensure the Murdochs of the world, the 24 carat leaners who inhabit this country, you know, who suck this country dry, you know, pay their fair share of taxation. They think that if their employees pay taxation, that's the end of the game. Look at the billions of dollars that are given to the corporate sector to stabilise them. Look at all the money in superannuation funds which is used to finance the the world stock markets, especially the Australian stock market. Over 60 cents of every dollar which will be spent on the stock market today will come from superannuation funds. So we have the ludicrous situations of people's future being determined through speculative gambles. Just an extraordinary situation. It really is. And then what we've seen over the last three decades is not just taxation revenue being gobbled up by the private education sector, the private health sector, you know, through uh, you know, private health insurance rebates, through money which is given to private hospitals, through money which is given to private schools. It's not that's not just the issue. The issue goes far deeper than that. Not only do they rob the public sector to finance the private sector to ensure they have the best you know, uh, education system money can buy. But at the same time, what we are seeing is the incremental increase in legislation which basically criminalises legitimate political and workplace activity. We now have a situation in this country where we're removing your labour within outside enterprise bargaining agreement, period, is a criminal offence. We now have a situation where workers can't even fly the Eureka flag on a work site because it's illegal. We now have a situation where we have special police to deal with trade unions, and the list goes on and on. So we've seen over the last two to three decades the trade union movement being legislated almost out of existence. At the same time, we have seen governments privatise profit-making initiatives, profit-making enterprises, which have been created through the 
taxpayer funds over generations now being almost given away to the private sector. For example, Commonwealth Bank shares when it was privatised by the Keating Hawke Labor government. Shares floated for about $2.84. Now they're in their mid-80s and almost reached $100 a few weeks ago. And this has profound implications. It has profound implications that go beyond the removal of an asset which creates profits which can go into the Treasury coffers to help public education, public infrastructure, you know, public health. Now, everybody talks about the lack of money for public infrastructure and how we need to build toll roads and how we need to go into private public partnerships because there's no public money. And there's no public money because, one, because of corporate welfare, which is a huge problem in this country, and two, because the corporate sector pays voluntary taxation. Simple. That's why we have an issue. It's not a spending issue. It's a revenue issue. The issue has been and continues to be revenue. That's the dilemma. We have a taxation system that penalises the poor, rewards the rich. For example, ever heard of the phrase franking credits? Extraordinary. How you can, if you borrow money, to buy shares and your shares go belly up you can actually claim a tax deduction because your shares have gone belly up if you borrow money to buy a house a second house an investment property and the interest is greater than the income well you get a tax deduction for that that's what's what's called negative gearing and the list goes on and on There's all these extraordinary revenue holes. For example, superannuation. We could rake in another $20 billion by taxing a little bit more equitably the top 10% of superannuants who are earning tens of thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, and, and, and and, and, and claiming a pension at exactly the same time. Just an extraordinary amount of corporate welfare in this country. And the tragedy is we have allowed it to happen. We have allowed it to happen because we as a people have believed the propaganda. We have believed that if we all become investors in the stock market, and most of us are, through superannuation funds, any profits that are made, we will reap that reward. And that reward is minimal. In many cases, at the same time, you face ruin as many people did in 2006 during the great financial crisis. So there are issues, but nobody is willing to tackle these issues. Very few, most political parties we have today are issue-orientated. Obviously issues are important to individuals and groups, but it's more than issues. As I said before, public interests before corporate interests has got a wide range of ideas. Any particular field of human endeavour, what is in the public interest? What is in the public interest as far as corporate domination of the economy is concerned? What is in the public interest as far as uh, marriage equality is concerned? What is in the public interest as far as 
privately owned infrastructure is concerned. And the list goes on and on and on again. Almost every issue you can think of can be looked at, analysed and decided on the basis of is it in the public interest so that everybody benefits or is it in the interest of the you know, the small minority which dominates the political marketplace, which determines who are the parliamentary uh, kingmakers. And we are at an exceptionally important point in our history because we may now be reaching the point of no return because there are so few public assets left. There is so little left to privatise that we now face the dilemma of not having the national income to deal with the most basic, basic needs in our communities. We are seeing the creation of a two-tier health system, private and public. You've got the money, you can get the best health care money can buy. Two-tier education system, you've got the money, you can get the best education money can buy. And it goes on and on and on and on. For far too long, Australians, the Australian people, have been taken to be fools. For far too long, we have been waiting, waiting with our mouths open, waiting for the crumbs to be brushed off the corporate table by governments who occasionally feed us a few corporate crumbs in order to keep us in line. For far too long, we have said, This is the way it should be. This is the only way it can be. Private capitalism, corporate capitalism, the cornerstone of civilization. Nothing else matters. We need to do whatever can happen. And across the world, across the world, not just in Australia, but across the world, we are seeing the same thing happening. Whether it's sub-Saharan Africa, whether it's Australia, whether it's Switzerland, across the world, we are seeing public interests being denied. We are seeing public interests being secondary. We are seeing that money breaks iron bars. And we are seeing it everywhere. It's not just an issue of uh, race or colour or gender. It's not just a single issue. It's much more than that. It's not even an issue of class. It's an issue of power. Who exercises power? For what reason do they exercise that power? How does it benefit them? How does it benefit the public? And it's always been a perennial issue. Who benefits from what? Who benefits from decisions that are made? Why are certain decisions being made? Why do we continue to go down this path that has made so many people feel insecure? Not just insecure in terms of national security or the threat of a terrorist outrage, but insecure in every facet of their lives. Insecure in terms of their jobs. Insecure in terms of income. Insecure in terms of being able to look after your dependents. Insecure in your ability to make a positive contribution to life. It just seems that we're spectators. Spectators in a little game. 
which has been played beyond a glass dome, within a glass dome. And all we can do is look and applaud and boo. It's as if the majority of Australians have now been ostracised, marginalised from the decision-making processes. Decisions are made elsewhere, then implemented, and we expect to accept those decisions. It's a difficult situation. It's not easy. And it's getting worse. And every day it gets worse. And it's getting worse because the culture has changed. You know, you're not interested in your neighbours, not interested in a fair game for everybody, not interested in an equitable distribution of wealth, not interested in concepts like direct democracy or reforms of the parliamentary system, not interested in the redistribution of wealth. That interest is minimal amongst most Australians. It's all about celebrity culture. It's all about food pornography. What are you going to eat? What cooking show are you going to watch? And the list goes on and on. Extraordinary situation. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia the Community Radio Network. And as I said before, it extends into all aspects of our lives. All aspects of our lives. Think about, think about what happens to you on a daily basis. Think about what happens if you can't pay the rent or the mortgage. Think about the social security safety net which continues, which, which is currently in play today. Think about who makes real decisions. Think about where we're going. I mean, we can sit here and complain and cap on and carry on and nothing will change. Change comes from people applying pressure. And it's extraordinary that in the 21st century we see so much marginalisation and disillusionment that we see young people flocking to religious fundamentalist movements who have nothing to offer in terms of the struggle for human liberty who basically offer a a drab future based on total obedience to some, some law written 1,500 years ago or 2,500 years ago or 2,000 years ago, as if these books are the repository of all that's good in the universe. I mean, if you told me 50 years ago when I embarked on this journey that People would be fighting for slavery. They'd be cutting people's throat because they've got different religious beliefs. They'd be exterminating people because they're apostate. That we'd see developed countries bombing third world countries into you know into oblivion. That all this would be occurring in our name. I would have laughed at you. But this is what's happening today. This is what how foreign policy becomes when you live in a dog eat dog world. And nothing highlights this more than our treatment of refugees in this country. A treatment which is endorsed by a majority of Australians. When Tony Abbott said, nope, 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 in terms of taking in a few hundred or a few thousand Rohingya refugees who are rotting on in, in, in Asian oceans, a significant majority of Australians would have said, yes, 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 Tony. That's the way it should be. We seem to have lost the idea that this country was built on the blood, sweat and tears of refugees and immigrants. 
post the disposition of the colonisation process coming into play, it was industrialised on the back of workers from overseas. It continues to be a high migration country. It continues to put profit before people and people's interests. Quite an extraordinary situation in 2015 that you and I find ourselves in this situation. And as I said before, we find ourselves in this situation because we have allowed this to occur. Because the 24-hour media bombardment about there's only one way, there's no other options. We either fully privatise, fully deregulate, fully corporatise, fully globalise, or we're all going to suffer. And the fact that the world economy is so intertwined and culture and traditions are becoming so intertwined makes it much more difficult because we're not dealing with companies and people and boards who've only got their feet in one country, but we're dealing with tarantulas. We've feet everywhere, with centipedes and millipedes. We've feet everywhere. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to understand what's happening. And even more important, it's becoming increasingly difficult for governments to actually put these people under observation, let alone extract a little bit of money out of them at the end of the year when, when tax time rolls up. So it's a difficult time, an exceptionally difficult time we currently find ourselves in. It's not easy. It's not easy. And I never said it was going to be easy. So... You do have options. We still have options in this country. We still have small areas where we can exercise our freedoms and liberties. We can still congregate openly without too much harassment. We can still raise ideas in the public sphere without being shut down. And to a large degree, these things continue to occur because people value our ability to express our opinion our ability to ensure that our coal house is functioning so that production can take place. And that's the key. That's the key that we can continue. But can we? Can we continue to do nothing? Can we continue for the gravy train to arrive? Can we continue not to question what's happening to people as they get older? Can we continue not to question what's happening to young people in this country who find themselves in part-time insecure employment? That's if they can find work. Can we continue not to question the fact that the gap between the haves and the have-nots is increasing? Can we continue to ignore that corporate welfare is a significant drain on the community? Can we continue to support and elect politicians whose primary responsibility is to the corporate kingmakers, who are not interested in their representatives, but who are interested to a significant degree in what the movers and shakers think? because they know that their political future in a capitalist economy, in a corporate capitalist world, is totally dependent, 100% dependent on people 
not reacting, on people accepting what is dished up. And the last thing I want you to do is to get up and throw the dish on the floor and say, this is crap. This is unfit for human consumption. I wouldn't even feed it to my dog, these policies, these ideas. This is total madness. For example, three trade agreements, which supposedly make cars a little bit cheaper and let you buy a cheaper television and a cheaper pair of shoes. Look at these free trade agreements. What they do is give corporations the power to sue sovereign states if sovereign states pass legislation on behalf of their people if that legislation impinges on the profitability of foreign corporations. Just an extraordinary state of affairs where Mr Abbott continues to talk about our sovereign borders but refuses, point blank, refuses, point blank, to pass legislation to give us economic sovereignty, economic sovereign rights. He's willing, and his government is willing, to give away these rights to the private sector, to the corporate sector, but not willing. You know, it's just extraordinary, extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. And as I said before, the ball's in your court. Well, now you're sick of the analogy, but the ball's in your court. I've hit it in your court, hit it back, put it in your pocket, walk away, but do something with it. You've been listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program has been, as I said, pre-recorded, sorry, 3rd of June, Wednesday the 3rd of June is Marbo Day. I'm out there celebrating with the other boys and girls, the other citizens, the other residents of this country. If you've still got an hour to get there, if you're in Melbourne, Federation Square, midday, sharp, Alan Jose will be the Master of Ceremonies, Torres Strait Islander Elder. Come and join us, celebrate Marbo Day. And remember, you can always leave, leave messages on 0439 395 489 04. 39395489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can go to org. You can go to pipsi, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can go to the Wednesday Action Group Facebook page, the Pipsi Facebook page, and I assure there's no pornography anywhere, just plain, boring political stuff. So it's good for the kids, good for you. Get involved. And just remember... That if you're a listener to this program on Community Radio 3CR, next week, the 10th of June, is Radio Fond Day. Radio Fond Day. Everybody else will get a program, but you will be expected to donate money to keep 3CR on air so that then we can continue to be part of the Community Radio Network and broadcast across the country. And if by some chance you're rich and you live somewhere else and you want a legitimate legal tax deduction, you can always ring us on the day on 039 419 8377. You've been to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Thank you once again for listening to us. Listen in next week and do something with that ball. Evil minds that plot destruction. Sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. 
Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, 